I was waiting to break the awkward silence. I was hoping to be louder than the kids in there. It's like a contest. I keep saying, someday we're going to be louder than you. And then what are you going to do? But good morning. Good morning. It's awesome. Everybody's here. Chase, guys can see you, baby. It's awesome. You guys are so cool. Look at that. Everybody's so happy. Summer's here. We're halfway through the year. That's awesome. We got a whole half to go. You're all like scared, like, what's he going to say next? Um, it's all good. So we've had a, a year where we've just been delving into our hearts and all these really tough topics. And if you're new here, we've gone through how the church and culture meet and where they don't meet. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We've been dealing with amazingly things that hit our hearts, convict us, sometimes make us a little ashamed. I've discovered I have an issue with tiny little spiders and Doritos I never knew about. I'm working on it. But it's just all this wonderful things happen. And so when Brian said, hey, I'm gonna be out of town, do you wanna preach? And I'm like, yes, I do. And then he said, and I looked at him and go, any particular topic? And he goes, whatever you want. And I saw a little bit of fear go through <laughs> Brian's face. Like carte blanche. So if you're new, Buckle up, it's gonna be fun. <laughs> so, today we're gonna talk about, as you can see, the power of God and what God has done. So if you haven't already gotten your Bibles out, I encourage you to get your Bibles out, notepads. Um, I'm gonna move a little quick through some things. Um, and so you may have to write down some notes, but we're gonna start in Genesis. So if, if you've never had the Bible before, it's easy, it's the first book, it's right there. And we're gonna start in Genesis 1. And before we get going and get into all this, I just wanna have a quick, quick, easy history lesson. So we're gonna go ahead and start reading. In Genesis, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, Male and female, he created them. We should have a big amen right there. Amen. It's awesome. It's awesome because everyone who follows Jesus and everyone that really doesn't follow Jesus, everyone here was created, crafted, and designed in God's image. That's amazing to think about. We are to be the image of God here on earth. And I love this particular verse because, because God says, not just Father God, but Father God in his image, Son of God in his image, Holy Spirit in his image, our image. We have a piece of everything of the heavens and the kingdom here on earth. Granted, as humans, we tend to mess a few things up. So sin comes into the world. We do things we shouldn't do and we separate ourselves from God. Luckily, since God is so brilliant, he had a plan for that as well. And that plan was Jesus. And Jesus came to redeem us, to bring us back into the family. So today as Christians, our little short history lesson tells us that we are meant to be the children of God. We are meant to have the rights and the privileges that God meant us to have in the beginning not to crush the world, 
but to look over the world, to guide the world, to grow the world, to encourage the world, to strengthen the world. That is our place. That is who we're supposed to be. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We are holy and set apart for that reason. We are holy and set apart that, that we can be mighty warriors, children. We operate in a place of authority as the children of God. Does that make sense to everybody? Does everybody grasp that? Nod to something. I can turn the temperature down more. John has control. He'll do it. We have to start there because we have to realize is that who is who we're intended to be. And as we move through this discussion about the power of God, that's important. So today, I want to talk about the power of God in miracles. And in the 21st century, it's really hard for us to deal with miracles. We're uber smart. We have Google, right? We have skeptics. We have facts. We have the world. We have all these things that discount the power of miracles. And as I was thinking about this and asking God, what do you want me to say? And, and I've been reading books, and I read this book by Timothy Keller called The Reason of God. Not the whole thing, so don't judge me or anything. But it's a great quote he has. And, and what he says is, we, modern people, think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. See, we weren't meant to die. We weren't meant to get sick. God meant to provide for us every day of our life. When we were created, all that was put into the natural order of things. But as sin and weaves, people moved in, it took that away. So when someone is healed, it's not miraculous like you just broke the laws of physics. No, I just fulfilled the original law that was supposed to be there. I fulfilled the fact that we had power to do these things, to run this. And so as we move through, so think about, don't think of miracles as something that's outrageously odd. It's something that was always supposed to be. And we're going to talk about miracles. We're talking about four basic miracle places, right? The miracle of power, provision, grace, salvation. All these things are miracles. There's over 120 miracles described in the Bible, if we wanted to be picky about it. There's probably more, right? Jesus, amazing amount of miracles. He turned water into wine, gave sight to the blind, right? Got rid of leprosy. Not only did he teach the lame how to walk, he taught them how to dance, right? Jesus opened ears, and he raised people from the dead. And we read those things as if it's history and not what moves through us now. Because Jesus wasn't the only person in the Bible that had miracles. One of my favorite miracle stories of Jesus is Lazarus. Okay? And I'm going to move through this kind of quick. And it's going to be the Mark New Version. So if I offend you, I apologize right now. 
So here's Jesus and the disciples, and they're hanging out over by the Jordan River. It's been kind of a tough time. They're trying to kill Jesus. They're kind of chilling. And then a messenger comes. He says, Jesus, Mary and Martha sent me. Lazarus is sick. We need you to come. And Jesus said, that's okay. God will get the glory out of it. But until then, let's hang out here for a few days. So two days later, Jesus says, hey, guys, we're going to Judea to see Lazarus. And they're like, um, Jesus, they just tried to kill you there. Why would we go there? Because that's what the disciples do. And Jesus says, well, we have to go because Lazarus is asleep and I have to wake him up. And as great disciples, they said, well, if he's asleep, he'll get better. It's like having the flu. He just needs some rest and soup. <laughs> and then Jesus, being Jesus, looks at him and goes, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> to which the disciples are like, couldn't we have started there? And then so they're talking about, fine, we'll go, we'll go. And Thomas, who is my guy, if I was like a disciple, is like, well, we might as well go to Judea and just die with him. <laughs> and they start trucking off to go see Lazarus. They didn't know what was going on. So it's like, here we go again. What's he up to now? So they start walking. And they're trucking around. And they're, they're a couple, you know, they're getting close. And Martha comes running out because she heard Jesus there. Jesus, you're here. But if he had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She goes back and tells Mary. Mary comes trucking out. Jesus, Jesus, if he had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus is like hurt. I mean, Lazarus's family was wealthy, so there's paid mourners and unpaid mourners and wailing and crying, and Jesus is looking at the spectacle, and the Bible actually says that it immensely hurt him emotionally. That not only did he cry, he just wept. And throughout this, everybody is doubting him. He's being mocked. What, you can open the eyes of the blind, but you can't save your friend? Who are you? So he goes to the tomb. And we know this part. He looks at him and he says, roll away the stone. And we're in John 11, if you want to turn there. So roll away the stone. And again, the people closest to Jesus are like, dude, he's been dead for four days. It's going to stink. You do not want to open the tomb. And Jesus being... The God that he is says, roll away the stone. So we're going to start in verse 41. So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with the cloth. That is an amazing miracle. Lazarus hobbling out of the tomb after being dead for four days. And what I love about this so much is that Despite everybody with Jesus knowing who he is, it's such a 
perfect illustration of our culture and life today. His disciples had seen Jesus do amazing things. They've watched him heal people. They've watched everything up to this point, and they're like, we don't need to go to Judea. What can we do there? Martha herself, when Jesus asked, do you know who I am? She looked at him and said, yes, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God who's come to the world. But you didn't save my brother from dying. And all around this whole thing, they're just looking at him and saying, what do we do? But even in an environment without faith, Jesus showed the power of God. In an environment where people were doubting, in an environment where the world was looking in and saying, you can't do this, he said, watch me. I can. I did. And as we travel through our lives and our worlds, these are things we need to think about. John even mentions later that if we were to write down all the miracles that Jesus did, it would fill so many books, we couldn't put them in the world. That's who we're modeled after. That's whose image you're created in. That's whose life you were meant to live. And Jesus isn't the only one in the Bible that did miracles. Moses did miracles. Elijah did miracles. Elisha did miracles. Peter, Paul, and untold people that we don't even know about. It wasn't something that was supposed to be rare. It was something that was supposed to point to the power of the God that they served and created us and made us. Do miracles still happen today? This is the interactive part. Do miracles still happen today? Yes, they do. Has anybody seen a miracle? Raise your hand. My goal is by the end of this, everybody raises their hand. I've been blessed to see many miracles. I'll be honest. I've laid my hands on, on friends whose knees are so arthritic they couldn't even stand and watch them dance. I know they still do it today. I've been, I prayed for people that had cancer and, and watched them be healed. One time, I sent my oldest daughter, Ellie, to Signs and Wonders Camp at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Fourth or fifth grade, somewhere in there. I don't know. I'm old. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. So they sent her to camp, and I come back three or four days later, pick her up, and it's all these kids. Ah! So we get in the car and doing the dad thing. How was it? It was great. It was awesome. Ah, all the kids are gone. We get home, and I look at Ellie. I go, hey, Ellie, where are your glasses? Because as the perfect godly father, it was like the third pair I had bought. <laughs> and I was starting to get a little triggered. Oh, they're in my bag. And why are your glasses in your bag? Oh, because I don't need them anymore. Oh, you don't need your glasses anymore. No, I don't need my glasses anymore. And I go, and why not? Well, one night, we're in worship, and they said, if you want your eyes healed, raise your hand. And I thought, I hate my glasses, so I raised my hand. <laughs> and now, I don't need glasses. I'm like, well, Ellie, maybe you should wear your glasses. And if you don't know my oldest daughter, Ellie, she's not very vertical. 
She wasn't very vertical then, but she squared up on me. Like she came right up to me and squared up and said, and like almost did the one woman say, I remember this vividly in my brain, Dad, you said God can do anything. Dad, you said whenever we didn't have money, God always gave us what we needed, and he did. Whenever we had food, we needed food. I've watched you heal people. I've seen you baptize people. Are you saying that God can't heal my eyes? And again, as the parenting leader of the world, I got down on one knee to be at her level. <laughs> and I looked her right in the eyes. And I go, Ellie, I'm sorry. I should never have doubted you. You're right. God can do everything. Now let's go see the optometrist. <laughs> and we all know what the optometrist said, right? Her eyes are 20-20. I don't know what's going on. To this day, Ellie only wears glasses to drive at night because the lights bother her eyes. Amen, right? There we go. See? Three more people can raise their hand. Anybody know who Naya is? Remember Naya? Our friend? Into sixth grade year? Find out she has a tumor in her head. For those of us here, we all feel right now that moment when we heard it. Because they didn't just say, hey, you have a tumor. We're going to give you a year at the most, but maybe months. And she's an awesome young lady. So we prayed. It was amazing, the prayer. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and the tumor got smaller and smaller and smaller. And yes, doctors did their thing, but they're still confounded. In fact, Lori, who is awesome to see you here today, Lori sent me a video of Naya at the eighth grade uh, continuation at Monarch K-8 giving an address thing. They told me I wasn't going to make it. I had to learn how to write and dress, but you know what? I'm here. Amen. Amen. God's great, right? <laughs> Miracles are happening every day around us, everywhere. We just don't see them. We don't notice that they're there. And I think in the basement, there's two reasons why. Number one, noise. Just noise. Who's been on a mission trip? Interactive day, remember? Raise your hands, been on a mission trip. Did you things that, see things on a mission trip you never thought were possible? Did you see miracles on a mission trip that you didn't think could ever happen in your whole life? And it changed you and you were, ugh. And then you get off the bus and walked in your house. <laughs> Your phone starts tweeting, Facebook, Instagram, TV, kids, soccer, work, money, bills, and pretty soon that miracle seems really tiny and distant. And that's what it's like every day for us. The world is competing so hard to stop us. We keep talking about this over. We have a really, really crafty enemy. If I can't make you not believe, I can certainly keep you away from where you need to be. I can cover your eyes and make you look over here. I create noise so you can't hear what you're supposed to hear. And we follow that. Right? And, and we just, we look at that and it bothers us and our culture blocks it and everything blocks it and it just happens. 
Even Lazarus coming out of the tomb, right? Hey, I just got resurrected. Look at me go. Waddling along. Jesus says, unbind him. Free him from the noise. Free him from what's tied him down. Free him from the death of this world. Lazarus went into the tomb dead with the knowledge of who Jesus was as his friend. Lazarus came out of the tomb knowing Jesus and the resurrection power of him. I would have loved to see the rest of that story. I really wish they'd written more of what he did next. Because I have a feeling he didn't sit at home and go, man, that was a tough four days. Don't do that. <laughs> you see, we need to be focused on the voice of God, not the noise of the world. And we've talked about this a lot this year because if we're hearing the voice of the God, if we're hearing what he's telling us what to do, the noise of the world doesn't matter anymore. Because we walk in faith and we see things happen every second of the day. Not just when we're in Africa or whereas or wherever God sends us. Technology, medicine, intellectual prowess does not change the fact that our God is amazing. Fair enough? Okay. Just making sure you're still awake. The second thing I think that really blocks us is fear. Right? Fear. We have a lot of fear. A lot of fear of everything. Just ask the security market. Ask Ring. They love fear. Make some money. One of my favorite stories about fear is in Mark. It's Mark 4. Write that down and read it later. And they had a long day, long day with Jesus saving the world. So they get in the boat to cross the sea, and Jesus is like, I'm out, taking a nap, right? And chilling. The rest of the disciples hanging out in the boat, and they start hitting these little waves, right? And the waves get bigger, and the waves get bigger. I mean, we're talking monster waves, not a very big boat. And Jesus is sleeping. So what do the disciples do? The same ones from earlier. How are you going to sleep and we're going to die? We're perishing over here and you're just sleeping. And Jesus, you know, peace be still. Just chill. Peace. Stop. Right? Stop it. Why are you so afraid? Why don't you have any faith? And I have to imagine that that had to hurt the disciples after a while to keep hearing that. Like, dude, you keep taking us all these really scary places. It's hard. Every time it's different. Every time it's scarier. You know what the van, and Jesus can't give us a clue. That the clue is, faith crushes fear. <coughs> right? It's okay to be afraid. But if I have faith... In the God whose image I am created in, who runs power through me, who gives me amazing things to spread his word and point the world to the God that is real, what am I afraid of? Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a power and love 
and discipline, sound mind. Paul's talking to Timothy because here's a young pastor trying to figure everything out and the world is weird. And timidity here, timidity here, timidity, got it. That word in Greek is fear, but really it means cowardness. And that's what we get sometimes. It's not that we're afraid, it's that we're cowardly, that we hide. And that power, dunamis, dynamite, power, that's what you have. I didn't give you cowardness, I gave you dynamite. I gave you the power of the universe through me that I created. It's yours. And discipline or sound mind literally is, let me make sure I get this right, is literally safe mind, right thinking, safe thinking. Which means if I think with the mind of Christ that I was given, because that's a promise, imagine what could happen. So this battle that we're in, right? Everybody says, it's, well, it's Satan against God. It's not Satan against God. That's not a battle. Let's be very clear about that. God, Satan, done. Right? That's not a battle. There's no comparison. They're not equal. The battle is between Satan and us and Satan keeping us away from God. That is the battle. Right? And we have the power. And Alex alluded and stole my verse earlier. We are more than conquerors. Not just winners. Not just barely made it. Not just one in the fourth quarter. Conquerors. That's what we're created to be. Not to take over the world with some brute force and political examination and Facebook arguments. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not going to win that way. But in our deeds and our actions that God flows through us. I'm going to tell you a little story. And I debated about this quite a bit since Brian first said, anything you want to talk about. Like, oh, I got a story. It's a weird little story. And it starts with an image that I'm going to show you here in a minute. Some of you may find this image disturbing. Some of you may snicker. Some of you may get your phones out and email brian at rockcreekchurch.org. All that is fine. I'm asking you to hold on to the end. Okay, you ready? Ready? Donald, can you show the slide, please? This is the image. It's a number. For those of you listening online, for those of you watching on YouTube, the number is 69. And all of us have mixed feelings. I actually heard a snicker. That was awesome. We have all these mixed feelings about this number. So as I've alluded to in the past, and if you're new here, you haven't heard all the stories, I wasn't actually a very good person my whole life. I was raised in a Catholic household. I knew where the lines were. I walked right on them as much as I possibly could. I lengthened them. Sometimes I boldly jumped over them without any concern for who God was. 
But wherever I went, this goofy little number showed up. As a 15-year-old boy, it was awesome. I'm not going to lie, okay? But like I'd get jerseys, that'd be my number, right? I would go to the things and I'd get 69% on a test. Not proud of it, but it happens. <laughs> it happens. I got better. I remember I, I was at college and I had a car and I had a job and I got my first apartment and I was so stoked. I went there and I was signing the lease and she goes, yes, you have a parking spot. I go, and I have a parking spot. She goes, yes, it's number 69. And I just laughed. So we're going to move forward a few years. God took me from Austin, Texas, where I was living, and moved me to Kansas City, which is another great story we'll save for another time. <laughs> moved me to Kansas City. And I ended up in this little tiny Pentecostal charismatic church, which was mind-blowing, first of all. But it was awesome. In this short period of time, God just started downloading everything I wanted to know about God. In the first month, I'd read the whole Bible. I was working nights. In the day, I'd read the Bible. I would do lessons. We were going, we're doing um, Blackaby's Experiencing God book, which is awesome. It was fun, and I was doing it. But at this whole period, everywhere I looked, 69. And I mean, I'm not like joking. Like, I'd have a job interview. Yes, we're on 69th Street. Gotcha, thank you. How do I get there? Take Highway 69. And these are real stories. I'd be driving down the street, things would be happening. I look over, license plate, 69. How much is that? 69.99. And it was starting to really freak me out. And I mean, like, I was, like, because I was battling this, you know, trying to get into God's world, and this part of me just not one to keep going because I knew where that line was and to cross that line is scary and I had this thing happening and I didn't know what it was and like I talked to another about it he goes oh you're weird just deal with it it's just a number I'm like it's not just a number Mr. Blackaby says sometimes God works in circumstances not just coincidences so I was living with my friend and his wife and their kids. And, and it was one of those days where like, caller ID, 69, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm really freaking out. Here's what's going on. And I'm talking to him about it. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And they go, Mark, I think, you know, you've been reading the Bible a lot, kind of locking yourself up. Maybe you just need to relax. And I was drinking this Pepsi that he had given me. I go, I guarantee you in the bottom of this can, it says 69. And he goes, okay, now I'm freaked out. <laughs> And so I started, bat started doing things, praying, listening. I literally went through the whole Bible, Genesis 6-9, Leviticus 6-9. Went through every book in the Bible to figure out, is there some hidden meaning behind this? And I'm not a numerology guy, so don't get nervous, okay? But it was like, what is it? And I had this whole Word document full of 69. What is the whole message he's trying to tell me? And I was trying to figure out, and like, Sometimes I'd be praying and I'd listen and I'd pray, sort of listen, and then I'd pray and I'd listen again. And finally, after a while, God reached down to me and said, hey, it's never been about the number. And that day that was said, I was in Matthew 6-9. <laughs> Just because that's important. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. 
hallowed is your name. Your name is set apart. Your name is sanctified. Your name is perfect. It's not even a prime number. It's a boring number that the world has taken that God created because God made math. God made numbers and the world has distorted it. And God said, you know what? I claim that number for you. I've redeemed that number because ever since this started, whenever I saw this number, I didn't think about anything but God. This number I wore proudly at my chest in college and I played football thinking I was cute. This number I considered having tattooed on myself. Thank you for not making me do that. <laughs> but I might now, I don't know. Um, it was reclaimed for me. Just like I was reclaimed for him. And it still happens. My kids know it. They laugh about it. Hey, Dad, there's a 69. You know if you're going on 70 through Nebraska, exit 369 is for friends. I didn't know that till one night, and I was really mad, and I was really mad at the kids, and I looked up at the mile markers. I said, 369, friends. I'm like, thanks. Literally last night, 2 o'clock in the morning, my daughter calls me. We're broken down the highway. We're on the way home from the airport. Can you come get us? So I get out, and I go pick him up, and got to see my granddaughter, so that was cool, except she was asleep and kind of grumpy. I get him in the car. I drop her off at the house in Longmont. I'm driving back. And like, there's no one out. It's like four in the morning at this point, right? You're just cruising. You're like, what's going on? And I'm going, and the light's red ahead of me. I'm like, so I'm just chugging. And some dude or lady, I don't know, whips around me, cuts me off to beat me to the red light. (laughs) (laughs) And so I start thinking, as Mark does, I wonder how close I should drive behind them for the rest of this journey. Inches, feet, and of course what I do, I glance down and the license plate is 699, last night. And I just laughed the rest of the way home. Okay, that's a really goofy story. I get it. But I will tell you, it saved my life. That little number saved my life. Not because it's a number, because at some point, This knowledge about God that I've had from a kid and Jesus Christ in my power went from here to here when I realized what he would do. Because if he'd do that with a little stupid number, imagine what he could do with my life. Imagine if I cut the noise out and I cut the fear out and I stopped using culture's examination and definition of miracles and life and God and Jesus and started using God's definition of miracles and life of God and the grace that he had on me. There's no reason I should be standing on this stage. There's people from my past would show up and say, you shouldn't have that guy on that stage. I pretty much can guarantee you that. But you know what? They don't claim me. God does. God's power runs through me. God's might runs through me. Not just for miracles of healing the dead, which would be awesome. I'm still working on that one. (laughs) Not just a miracle of being able to kneel down with someone as they give their self to Christ and watch that. That salvation, that grace that we have in one another when we do really, really, really non-smart things. 
And how many has been, people in this room have just been struggling, if only I had $50. And somehow someone says, hey, I got $50 for you. And we say, huh, what a coincidence. (laughs) The power of God is here for us because nothing is impossible for God. We can't give up. The story of Naaman, 2 Kings. 2 Kings 5. Write that one down, because I'm going to go through it fast. Naaman, commander, Syria, crusher of Israel, slave taker, leper. Couldn't find help in his own land. A little slave girl from Israel says, I know a guy that can heal you. His name is Elisha. Goes in Israel. I want to see Elijah. Everybody's freaking out. Elijah says, hey, dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. Naaman's like, I am not going to put my foot in that gross Jordan water. Why is your water any better than my water? Mumbling, grumbling, letting the noise hitting him, let the fear being embarrassed because he go dipped himself naked in the Jordan River. And finally he decides to. <sighs> One. This is stupid. Two, three, nothing, right? Four, and you know now there's a crowd because there always is in this situation. Five, six, I quit, but he didn't. He went seven, and when he came up, the leprosy was gone. And did he say, Thank you, healing medical waters of the Jordan. He said, there is one God. That guy. Be bold. Jesus say, hey, Lazarus, come out of the tomb if you want to. Claim the power that you have. There's a fine line there, so I'm not going to cross it. I get it. But we have to be claim the power that we were given, who we were meant to be, to restore things to the natural order. And the natural order is God's in charge and his power runs through us so we can do amazing things on earth so we can point to God and say, that's why. Because I am not good. But good runs through me with so many volts that I can change the world. Or at least the person next to me. And I understand waiting for your miracle hurts. And I understand not every prayer happens. Yes, I watched people healed. I watched one of my best friends with cancer die. I've watched one of my best friend's kids die. I've watched people have to go through foreclosure and not get the job they want. I get that. And I could take that fear and I could stick it right here and I could never pray again. Or I could say, God, I don't know what that was all about but I'm going to trust you in that and I'm going to go pray for someone else and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray until it happens. And I'm not going to give up. There's times when I pray for people and I pray for them and nothing happens and I'm literally shocked. And I want to be like that every time. I either want to jump up and worship and say, God's kingdom is greater today or go, huh, that should have worked. I guess we'll keep praying. Because that's what we're meant to do, to boldly step out in faith. 
Not to cowardly lean into it. To boldly do the things that God wants us to do. To exhibit the power of God here on earth, now, today, tomorrow, every second. So let me ask you again. How many people have seen miracles in their life? We all have. We've seen family come to God that never would. We've seen near misses. We see doctors that go, I don't know what happened, but they're healed. And little just goofy things, right? We tell us in our testimonies, and I know I'm running long and I apologize, right? One of the coolest things about the men's retreat this year was not just hanging out with guys and finding out we all have really broken parts and that we're all alike and we're all struggling. What was cool was to listen to them tell their testimonies of how they got to that retreat and what God had did just to get them there. There are times when I, I, I'd say I felt small and big at the same time. I felt small because I didn't recognize the power of God. I felt big because I saw the power of God all around me and every single one of those men who were walking in the power of God and were trying their best to take that next step to the next place God wanted them to be. And that's what we want here, is to continually move to where we want to be. We need to share that with our lives. Hey, how was your week? You know what? Work was gone, bad, but I had prayed at this person, and let me tell you what happened. Hey, I reached out, and I talked to my kids about something, and told much God loved them, and I saw a little light flicker in their eyes. It was brief, but it flickered. Hey, I talked to someone, and they found out that one of their friends that had MS can walk now. That's a true story. That's what we're meant to be. Incidentally, in case you didn't know, do you guys know what day it is? It's June 9th. I'm just saying. It's also Pentecost. Right? Boom. God is just is, is letting us know that no matter how weird things see at times, how hard things seem at times, God doesn't leave us. Last week, we baptized Robert right here, right in this corner. And it was awesome watching Robert do out loud what he's been wanting to do his whole life, right? Buried, coming back. Today, we're celebrating communion. Remembrance of, of what Jesus did for us, right? Standing there that night, they had no clue the miracles that are about to happen. And he broke that bread and he said, Take this. Eat it in remembrance of me. And he took this cup and he goes, this is a new covenant. And drink this in remembrance of me. Do not forget what's going to, what's has happened. And they're probably thinking, dude, you just washed my feet. Remember that? I can remember feeding these people and that, and they're trying to figure out what's going to happen yet, and they had no idea. We got to take this seriously because that's a sacrifice of love for everyone in this room. 
for everyone on this planet. And I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. God loved you so much that that happened. And the moment on that cross, as he hung there and he died, we were reclaimed. At that moment, it was paid. Come back in. Abba, Father, I'm here. So as we drink from this cup today and eat this bread today, even if it's gluten-free, it still counts. When you remember now that was that sacrifice done to free us from our sins, but to free us from our fear, to free us from the noise of this world and empower us with the power that we were meant to have in the beginning when we were created, even before we existed now. That, that restoration power. So before we have communion, the logistical things come up the middle, go on the outside. There's gluten-free at both tables. Please don't kick Lori's leg if you're coming from the back. I'm going to ask if we have elders or previous elders and Alicia during this communion time, they're going to try to find a spot. And if you need prayer for anything, ask. Don't be afraid. If you're thinking, you know, it's time, I need to give my life to Jesus, talk to them. They'll pray with you. You can talk to me, you can talk to Alex. If you came with a good friend, you can talk to them. I'm just saying use this time to grasp that power that's meant for you. So I'm going to ask you to stand for me. Please. If you're comfortable, I'm going to ask you to hold your hands out. I'm going to pray a prayer over you from Ephesians that I love. And I want you to receive this prayer. If you're not comfortable, that's fine. And as we move into this special time, I ask that you just ask God to make this part of your lives. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which suppresses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen.